0: Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told to the medium of sound, showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Hear your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories, and I am your host, Fred. That great theme music is from Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. Uh, This week, we continue our feature on the Colonial Radio Theater of the Air, a company based just down in Boston, not far from where um, Radio Drama Revival originates in Portland, Maine. Uh, Colonial's diverse range of audio work has appeared on the Terrestrial Radio Dial, um, especially throughout the New England area, as well, of course, on the Satellite um, Spectrum on XM Sonic Theater. Um, Of course, there's also... All on the web. Um, You can find it through download on Lulu and the Spoken Network. Um, Of particular interest is their upcoming latest production, uh, Zorro, um, a Zorro adventure, Uh, the first of its kind in audio, I believe. And I think it's only kind of being trickled out on Lulu right now. Um, That is from Jerry, and you can hear details of that um, in our interview that's later in the show. Um, Yeah, again, I think that's Lulu, and you can find it um, on Colonial's radio website, uh, colonialradio.com. Um, Anyways, today we are going to wrap up our ongoing feature of Colonial Radio with a third episode of Yankee Clipper and the Adventure of the Golden Sphinx, classic feeling tale of adventure in 19th century Egypt involving strange curses, tombs, fast sailing ship, all kinds of fun stuff, curses, you know, all good stuff. Um, I think the story so far is pretty well recapped at the beginning of the episode, so we'll get right into it, but do stick around for later in the show. We have a feature interview with Jerry Robbins, producer, actor, and often writer of Colonial Radio Theater Productions. For now, enjoy Yankee Clipper.
1: Yankee Clipper. The Colonial Radio Theater on the air presents Yankee Clipper. The starring players... This is J.T. Turner. This is Joseph Zamparelli, Jr.
2: Shane Clark. Jeremy Benson. And this is
1: Sam Donato. The Colonial Radio Theater presents the weekly adventures of the Clipper ship, Yankee Spirit, as she sails on her most dangerous assignment in the year 1868. It stars J.T. Turner as Captain Martin Hawk, Joseph Zamparelli Jr. as Captain Luther Penrose, Jeremy Benson as Adam Dalton, Shane Clark as Cooper, and Sam Donato as Angus Reed. Tonight on Yankee Clipper, Chapter Three: The Curse of Arippus. Last time on Yankee Clipper.
2: There.
3: See it? I see it, Mr. Cooper. My telescope, if you would. Here, sir. Thank you. Send for Mr. Reed, will you?
2: Aye, sir.
4: Captain, is it the Black Arrow?
3: Mr. Dalton, you should be resting.
4: I can't, sir.
3: Is it the Black Arrow? It is. You sent for me, Captain. I did, Mr. Reed. The Black Arrow sails before us. I want full speed. Lay on as much sail as you can and close this gap. Aye, sir.
5: All right, boys. We're
3: laying on board. Your orders, sir. We shall search that ship and retrieve the Sphinx. Carry on. Aye. Mr. Dalton, in a few hours we shall catch up to that ship.
1: That's what I'm afraid of. And now tonight's chapter, The Curse of Erebus.
3: Mr. Reed. Aye, Captain. Why aren't the mizzen sails set? I need all possible speed. Sir, I ordered them...
1: Sit
3: there, the men are on the mast. They appear to be having some trouble with the moonsail. Right, Mr. Paley, unfurl that
1: sail. You've had plenty of time, sir. Mr. Paley! Sir, the lines, they're knotted up.
3: What does he mean, knotted up? I'm sure I don't know, He's sir. got six men with him up there. i not them! I need to gain distance on the black arrow, Mr. Reed. Aye, Captain.
4: Paley! Sir! Order
1: from the captain! unknot them! I can't! I've never seen anything like it! One knot just leads to another! Just do it!
2: Mr. Reed. Mr. Cooper? I heard rather unusual shouting. Something about unknotting something? Moonsilk crew cannot set the sail. They say it has multiple knots in the rigging. How could that be?
1: Stewart, look out! Help! Ah!
2: Mr. Paley. Oh my!
3: What happened? What is it?
2: Oh no. no! Reed, what is it? Uh, above, sir. Stuart Paley must have must have slipped. He's he's
3: hanging by the neck. Cut him down. Everyone, back to work. Mr. Cooper,
4: load the swivel guns. Aye, captain you see that? The ship is cursed.
2: Did you say something, Mr. Kemper? Sir. What did you just say? Nothing, sir. Repeat what you just said.
4: I said, the ship is cursed, sir.
2: And why do you say that?
4: Our cargo, sir,
2: is cursed. Get yourself aloft and take Mr. Paley's place. I want that sail set.
6: It appears to be slowing down. Slowing down? The Yankee spirit? My telescope. Here, sir.
5: Odd. They are missing their mizzen sails. Missing them? I see. Six men working on the moon, sir. Appears to be some trouble getting it set.
6: Wait! What is it, Captain? This. There's a man. Hanging. hurt? I didn't know you were here. I just arrived. I didn't hear you walk up either.
5: You were
7: distracted.
5: How did you know there was a man hanging? I could barely make it out with the glass. My old eyes see many things.
6: They see better than mine, they do.
5: Hanging? Could Hawk be having trouble with his crew?
6: He wouldn't hang a man. Just throw him in the hole. I would assume
7: an unfortunate accident.
6: You'll be on us soon. We're at full sail, sir. Not much wind. Sails are lifeless. You shall have wind in
5: your sails soon, Captain. I hope so. I need to get into port before Captain Hawk so I can get some guns on board. He shall be plagued
7: on his voyage.
5: Oh, how do you know that? The man
7: hanging. That is proof enough. Most likely
5: an accident. I think not. You know you're going to give me nightmares if you keep talking like this. Like what? Like you know something I don't.
7: Hmm. Everyone knows something others do not know. Yes, I suppose so. I shall
5: take my leave. Win. Captain, look, wind in the sails. (laughs) I'm not surprised, Captain. Keep on course for Cyprus, Mr. Calvin.
6: Aye, Captain.
3: Good evening, Mr. Dalton.
4: Captain, you have the watch? Aye, sir, until midnight. Who's at the helm? Kemper, sir. Keep your eyes near sharp. How did the Black Arrow get away from us? We should have hit the air pocket that carried her off. The wind must have shifted. Who
3: knows? Well, then she should have slowed down as well. I have no explanations, Mr. Dalton. Captain Penrose is having a lucky day, that's all. Carry on. Oh, and I want to know immediately if there's any change in the weather.
4: Sir. Good evening, Kemper. Mr. Dalton, helm steady, sir. Very good, Kemper. I was talking to Mr. Cooper earlier. He tells me you think this ship is cursed. Yes, I do. Why is that? Paley hanging from the moonsill mast, the two men killed on your watch, and you up in the rigging. No one knows how you got there. It all started when we brought the Egyptian cargo on board. I believe it to be mere coincidence, Kemper. Nothing more than that. Is that what you really believe? I'm going to walk the deck, Kemper. Carry on. Aight. Dalton is that you God of the what what did you say Idiot. Dalton Idiot. 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 Dalton what there you are what's wrong over there by the cross jack what did you see I'm not sure I'll go look. You stay here at the helm. See anything? Mr. Dalton, you see anything? There's nothing here. Nothing there. You sure you saw something?
5: Yes! What do you see? Sail! A sail to Winnard! A
4: sail? Mr. Reed! Yes. Lookout spotted a sail to Winnard. Go get the captain. Aye.
3: No need, Mr. Dalton. I heard the hail.
4: Where is she? Winnard.
3: She's close, Captain. Maybe two miles. I would say four. How to see with the telescope. So dark, but I can tell she is not the black arrow. Moving very slow. Look! moon, moonsault. An orange glow. A fire? It's a fire, Captain. Must have just started. It's small. No, there it goes. Mr. Kemper. Sir. Mr. Kemper, bring her about to port. She will need assistance. Can you make out what she is, Captain? Not from this angle, but it appears to be a sloop. Fire spreading fast. Her masts are engulfed. Mr. Dalton, I want the crew to... Bound to kingdom come. Mr. Reed, I want every ounce of sail. Get us over there as fast as you can. We need to pick up survivors. If there are any. Aye. Mr. Cooper, prepare to lower the boat. Aye, Captain.
4: I've never seen such an explosion. Neither have I. And it happened right after I saw that ghost. Ghost? Aye. That's what it was, sir. A ghost. This ship is cursed, mm-hmm. Mr. Dalton. And that other ship blown up was a warning. This ship is cursed. Your helm to port, and keep on steady course, Mr. Kempner.
2: Roll faster, men. We're almost there. is everywhere. Mr. Cooper? What is it, Kemper? That ship is
4: going under. She might pull us down with her when she goes.
2: No, we're not that close yet. And she's settling fast. What could have done this? Look,
4: the ship has been blasted in half. Hello?
2: Hello? Is there anyone here? There she goes. To the sea. Is anyone here? There must be a hundred dead in the water. Hello. I heard someone. Shh. Hello. I'm,
4: I'm over here. Sound starboard side, sir.
2: I'm turning. Can you see any movement? see anyone, but we're headed in the direction of the voice. Steady on, man.
4: Here! Help! I'm here! There he is, holding on to that chair. I see him. Raise oars.
2: Here, sir, give me your hand. Mr. Curtis! Professor!
8: Thank goodness. I thought...
2: Uh, I thought I was a goner. Professor, are you hurt?
8: No. No, I don't think so.
2: Just a, a few cuts and bruises. Here. Sit here. Mr. Dalton, hand me that blanket, if you would. Here, sir. Thank you. There you are, Professor. You just sit there, and we'll have you on board the spirit soon. Are there any more survivors?
8: Ah... Uh... I don't know. I haven't heard any. The only voice I heard after the explosion was yours.
1: Help! Over here! Don't go! Over here! Listen! Help! Help! That sounds like Jeremiah.
0: Who?
8: Jeremiah. He was the cabin boy on Eclipse.
2: Dalton, can you pinpoint the voice? Dead ahead, I think.
1: Over here!
2: Help! Yes. Row hard, men. He's ahead of us. There! I see him! Yes. Steady on, men. Help! Raise oars. I... I got him.
9: Here. Boy, give me your hand. Here. There you are. Thank you. Are you hurt? No, sir. I don't think
2: so. Mr. Dalton, we'll search some more for survivors and then return to the ship. Aye, sir.
3: Would you like coffee, Professor Curtis? Yes, thank you. Jeremiah? Yes, please. Thank you. Professor, you're the last person I would expect to find out here. What happened? Where were you bound?
8: Half going home, half looking for you. Oh? The day after you left the excavation site, I was working in the tomb, in the room of the dead, where your man Dalton found all the bones and chariots. Yes. In the shadows. I saw a man looking at me. His eyes seemed to glow. I could see them in the dark. He was dressed in a dark robe. And, and when I walked closer, his face reminded me of, of the Sphinx. Inherit. Yes, that is the name he gave me. He who brings back the distant one. What happened? It occurred to me that this was the man you told me about. The one who you say guided you to the Valley of the Kings. The one who was invisible to my eyes as you rode into camp. Then what happened? He just stared at me, and then he said, you have have taken taken the distant distant one. one. I didn't know what he meant. You have taken the
7: distant one. What? Who are you? Where have you taken him? Oh, I have taken no one.
5: Who do you mean? What are you
8: doing here? I am in inherit. Come out of those shadows and in the light of my torch. You have set
7: us free. And yet you take the distant one.
8: He must be returned. Sir, if you refer to the burial chamber, it has not yet been discovered. No one has been taken. Please come to the surface with me. I wish to know who you are and what business you have here. This excavation is off limits to everyone except the members of my team and the Egyptian government.
7: You are the invaders. You have set me free. You have taken the distant one.
3: Any heret? We searched for him while we were in camp, and we found nothing.
8: There is something else I failed to mention. What, Professor? The floor of that chamber. The one Mr. Dalton discovered. You recall it was filled
3: with thousands of bones. Thousands. From wall to wall. Yes, the army of Oripus you assumed. The room was empty. The floor was clear. What? Even the chariots were gone. That's impossible.
8: I looked away from him for just a moment, and when I looked back, he was gone, vanished.
3: There was no other way out of the chamber? No,
8: he had said several times that I had taken the distant one. I didn't know what he'd meant since the burial chamber and mummy of Oripus had not been discovered. I had the camp searched, and any herit could not be found. Then I realized that whatever it was he was searching for must have left camp with you, I put my assistant in charge and set off for Alexandria to catch up with you and warn you. By the time I arrived, I was told that you had sailed the day before. And I was told that two members of your crew had been murdered. A sloop called the Eclipse was in a harbor bound for the United States. I paid the captain a handsome sum to search for you for at least two days before heading back. We set sail immediately. Then what? We came upon another ship, another clipper. At first, we thought it was you. I looked at her through my telescope, and looking back at me from the other ship was Iniharit. What? He was at the rail, just staring into my telescope, that dark leathery face of his. Then he turned and walked away. I told the captain I needed to board that ship. He was heading toward the ship when there was a tremendous explosion. The next thing I knew, I was in the ocean, and your boat was coming to my
3: rescue. And you a cabin boy, Jeremiah? Hi, Captain. Who is
9: your captain? Captain Logan, sir. We were out of Portland, Maine. Did you recognize the other ship? I only saw it for a moment before the explosion. I had seen the ship before, in Portland. I think it was the Black Arrow, but I cannot be sure.
3: I see. How long have you been at
9: sea? Three years. I'm fifteen, sir.
3: If you wish to remain at sea, you can assume duties as cabin boy on my ship.
9: Thank you, Captain. I would like that.
3: Professor Curtis, we have indeed been plagued with several accidents on board since we took on your cargo. Sent a messenger back before we left Alexandria. Did he reach you? No. And the Sphinx has been stolen. Stolen? Yes, and I believe the Black Arrow has taken it. Is that what any herit meant? The distant one was the Sphinx? Perhaps.
8: No, no, that can't be. It's an object, and any was speaking as if the distant one were alive. It doesn't make sense. Nothing
3: makes sense on this voyage, Professor.
5: Come in. Captain. Roger. Any sign of the spirit?
6: No. We gave her the slip. Good. We will continue on to Cyprus. Luther, I don't like this one bit.
5: What are you talking about?
6: Any herit. When we saw that other ship come over the horizon, I saw his face. It was like he was being called to the ship. His eyes opened wide, his mouth pulled back in some sort of twisted, menacing smile. He just stood there. When I came back an hour later, he hadn't moved. Not a step. The other ship was closer. That's when I called for you. And as soon as you got on deck, the ship blew up.
5: And it allowed us to escape before Yankee Spirit sighted us. It served a purpose.
6: If word ever got back to Salem that we left a ship in distress, we would be shunned by the entire town. Do you think anyone survived that explosion? Where does any hit it now? I don't know. I looked for him after the explosion, but he was nowhere to be seen.
5: We have wind in the rigging and should make port by morning. Carry on, Mr. Calvin.
9: Hello. Evening. You were in the boat that rescued the professor and me. Yep. Name's Kemper. I'm Jeremiah McQuitty. Pleased to know ya. I ain't never seen so many stars in the sky. Or maybe I just ain't ever had the chance to look at them. You the helmsman?
4: Yep. For this watch, anyway.
9: Say, what made that ship of yours blow sky high? I don't know. We weren't carrying any explosives. No gunpowder or ammunition or anything. I don't know how it could have just blown up like that.
4: Say, seeing as how you're here, how about fetching me an apple?
9: Alright, where are they?
4: In a barrel, by the
9: taft rail aft. I'll be right back.
4: Get one for yourself, too.
9: Kinda dark here. Can't see. Oh, there it is. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see you there. It's so dark. We haven't met. I'm Jeremiah from the Eclipse.
7: I am Innie Heret from the Valley of the Kings.
1: You've been listening to Yankee Clipper, The Adventure of the Golden Sphinx, starring J.T. Turner as Captain Martin Hawk, Joseph Zamparelli Jr. as Captain Luther Penrose, Jeremy Benson as Adam Dalton, Shane Clark as Cooper, and Sam Donato as Angus Reed co-starring were Craig Champa as Roger Calvin Lincoln Clark as Professor Curtis and Jim Murphy as Eni Hart also heard were James Turner as Jeremy McQuitty and Matt Gelinas as Kemper Yankee Clipper is written produced and directed by yours truly executive producer is Mark Vandenberg and the music was by Jeffrey Gage join us again for the next exciting chapter Port of Call on Yankee Clipper The Adventure of the Golden Sphinx for the Colonial Radio Theater on the Air this is Jerry Robbins saying good night from Boston
0: And that was the third episode of Yankee Clipper and the Adventure of the Golden Sphinx, a serial adventure story you can find out more of by visiting ColonialRadio.com. Previous episodes, of course, um, one and two are on the Radio Drama Revival website, uh, so check out RadioDramaRevival.com for those. Uh, Stick around now, though, for an interview with one of the main guys between Colonial Radio, Mr. Jerry Robbins, talked about his life in audio, uh, what it's like to be doing this professionally, and um, thoughts on everything he's done. All right. Uh, well, my guest today is uh, Jerry Robbins uh, with the Colonial Radio Theater on the air. Um, the Colonial Radio Theater is an, is an award-winning uh, radio drama production company. They are based uh, just south of where Radio Drama Revival originates in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, we're just up in Maine. Um, it was officially established in 95. Jerry Roberts and Mark Vanderburg. They've got tons and tons and tons of stuff. Um their work um if you look at some of the things they've done uh, they worked with ray bradbury um they've done all kinds of their own original productions um legends sleepy hollow uh classics um a whole bunch of fun stuff um real diverse work uh everything from adventure to classic tales to historical drama uh westerns uh horror all, all fun stuff uh jerry welcome to the show
10: Hey, I'm tired. I don't know about you. <laughs> uh, I just listening to that stuff. I
0: know. I, I was I was just looking at it. They have your uh looks like a, you know, production history here in in Wikipedia and it's it fills up a whole screen on a pretty pretty high resolution monitor. So uh you've got a got a good little resume going. Um
10: Yeah, I just you know, I just saw that Wikipedia thing and I don't know who did it.
5: <laughs> I
0: happened.
10: didn't do it. And and I called up my business partner and asked him if he did it and you know, he said, "No, we, <laughs> he didn't. So uh, someone knows more about us than us. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> cuz that, I saw some shows in there I totally forgot about.
0: Oh, that's that's so funny. And it, you know, it says you officially started in 95. It looks like some of your first shows were uh, 97, 99 when you really started to get into it. Do you want to talk a little bit about the origins of Colonial Radio Theater? How you got started?
10: Well, we we actually started in 1988. We didn't go commercial until 95. And I had been uh, an actor on stage for many years from the time I was 12, and I, I just had enough by the time I turned 20. I said, that's it, I'm done. And then a few years later, I was getting really, really bored, and I, I didn't want to go back into theater. But I always liked radio, so I said, let me try to do some kind of radio play. And, and, and you've got to remember, this is before computers, uh, personal computers, so I didn't even know how to start. So I I went to the store somewhere, I forget how I know it, I got a catalog Hmm. just out of the blue, uh, a company used to be called Radio Yesteryear, and I got a bunch of old shows from there, and I listened to them, I said, yeah, I think I could do something like that, so I I actually typed out the scripts on a typewriter, Hmm. because you couldn't go online and pull a script somewhere, Uh, (laughs) and I guess this would be the equivalent of what today is called fan fiction, you Hmm. know? And because I knew I couldn't do anything with it, it was just purely for fun. So I did, like, uh, I don't know, The African Queen and uh, Casablanca and, and all these shows. And I just transcribed the, the old luck scripts and I got a bunch of friends and we attempted to do them. And they were bloody awful when we started. I, I think I destroyed most of them. And, <laughs> oh, um, and, but we just kept doing them. And by the time, you know, Colonial Radio came around in '95, I'd already done probably close to 200 of these shows. Mm-hmm. I just got hooked on it and just kept working and working and working and doing them. And they started getting pretty slick. And I have a friend who's a music composer, and he had worked with me in a couple of movies. And I said, "Can we want to write a score if I like did a couple of radio shows for real? And he said, sure. So we did Battle Road, which was our first one in 95, because we figured we live in the Boston area,
5: mm-hmm.
10: get it in the gift shops and all this stuff make it historically accurate, and I'm a history buff, so I had fun doing that. And we did. So we did Battle Road, and then we did uh, two shows on the old Ironside's U.S. Constitution. And um, what I did was, once these shows were done, I just hit the pavement in Boston, and I went door to door to every gift shop from Boston to New Hampshire to Connecticut. Wonderful. And even out in the western part of the state. And uh, I just, I, I went to... God, I, I can't even tell you how many I went to, but every single day for two years, I was pushing these shows, and that's why when we first start, you see, like from '95 to '97, mm-hmm. we don't have it. We're not putting out a ton of shows because I was spending most of the time uh, going into town and hitting all the trolley shops, you know, the little tour things and the museums. And we ended up picking up some really good accounts. The problem was they don't reorder. You have to physically go in there. <laughs> and find out, oh, yeah, you're empty. You want 20 more Battle Roads? Sure. So we just did this and just kept it going, and then we started to branch out doing more uh, classic literature as opposed to just history shows and, and all that, and then it just sort of took off that way. And once the Internet came along, it was a lot easier uh, you know, to network and everything, but we, we held out doing downloads for years Cause I just, I was just nervous about it. And, you know, you work 20 hours a day on this stuff. I don't want to just give it away. Sure. Sure. And, um, I don't, I don't even, I think podcasts were probably just starting then. But I just, I remember being on a talk show in Boston, uh, the Jordan Rich show in, in on BZ and, and, uh, some guy called in, and this is 2002 and some guy called in and said, is your stuff out on MP3s? And I didn't know what he meant. Oh. Man. because I, I, never, I didn't even edit on a computer. I was editing on a, a digital workstation. And to this day, I've never edited a show on a computer. So it was all new to me, and I'm like, what's he talking about? Oh, man. Yeah. But it, it was a good idea, and the more we looked into it, within, I think, two years later, we waited another two years before we went into downloads, and uh, it's been that way ever since.
0: Right. We,
10: we still put CDs out, but downloads going to be the future.
0: Yeah, and what has been your history? Um, Obviously, at some point, you started getting on XM and Sirius. Were you ever on the uh, local Boston circuit for radio?
10: We started on um, a small station in New Hampshire with a series we have called Powder River. No, I'm sorry, back up. We Something called The Dibble Show, which is a dumb comedy show. It's really stupid, (laughs) but they're fun, and... uh, it went on a college station up in Keene, New Hampshire, and it just took off, and we started getting letters and, and uh, emails about it, and I said, well, this is pretty cool, you know, so I, the first season of Dibble Shows, I did uh, 45 episodes, these are full half-hour episodes, so I was pretty sick of writing Dibble Shows, but I was pretty interested in, in continuing the writing because I was on a roll. So we decided to do a Western series, which is Powder River. And I figured, okay, we'll do 15 of these and we'll run them in the summer when Dibble's off the air. So we put Powder River on. Uh, and by that time, we had already started Yankee Clipper because I, I had in, in, in mind doing the old 1940 serials. Mm-hmm. Do like 15 episodes and then you're out of there and then you do another subject. Okay. So that was my goal. By the time Powder River went on the air... Uh, in New Hampshire, I, I just started getting incredible letters from people, and I realized, you know, we got to do more Powder Rivers because people really like this show. Uh, Yankee Clipper went on the air afterwards but didn't really do too much. Uh, not a lot of interest. People kept wanting more Powder Rivers. So that's how we started, just yeah. on that one station. We picked up a couple of smaller stations as well, um, but they weren't, we weren't on weekly. I think you really got to be on weekly to build an audience, you know.
0: Yeah, and and is Um, that
10: so? That's how it started, and then we got XM uh, a year later.
0: Okay, and and do you think it was because of the radio work, or did you um, audition to XM and they liked what you had to had to show? Well,
10: we we submitted a bunch of shows um, for about a period of a year. Every four months, we'd send something in, and never got a response. But I'm tenacious. I don't give up. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> yeah. so we just kept sending in stuff and and sending in stuff, and we wouldn't hear anything. And and uh, I didn't even have XM radio, so I wasn't even sure if we would even fit in there. Yeah. And then one day we got a call from the program director at uh, Sonic Theater, which is sort of their radio drama book mm-hmm. on tape station. And he said he heard our stuff and he liked it. And he wanted us to uh, sign a contract, so we signed a three-year contract, and uh, and then we waited another five months before we went on the air, and then we went on the air in uh, September of 2005, and we've been on every week since.
4: Excellent. But I
10: think what got us on the air was we just have a huge catalog, mm-hmm. and because uh, our first agreement was like, the, the first thing out of his mouth was, how many uh, episodes can you give me? mm mm-hmm. Because he's not interested in twenty, he's not interested in fifteen. So I said we can probably do about 136 <laughs> nice. the first year, which is what we did. Because you take a show that you have that's three hours long, you chop it up into half-hour mm-hmm. segments. You know, and there you go. You have three weeks worth. So that's what we did, and and uh, it's been amazing. It really has. We get a an awful lot of listeners that uh, tune into us every day, and then we have, and we're on seven days a week now. It's been quite amazing. And, and five days after we sign with um, XM Radio, we get a publisher. No, I'm sorry, I'm getting my stories mixed up. We we get a publisher, Blackstone Audio, from the XM gig, because th- that's what made them pay attention to us. You know, well, we don't do we don't really do audio drama. Well, mm-hmm. oh, we're on XM Radio. Oh, okay. Amazing, the doors that place opened up. Yeah. And then. Uh, we go on um, Blackstone Audio. He gives us a contract. Five days after we sign with Blackstone Audio, he calls us up and says, would you like to work with Ray Bradbury? And I'm, I'm like, good. oh boy. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, I think we can fit that into our schedule.
4: Yeah.
10: And um, so we did uh, Dandelion Wine with Ray, and um, I was nervous as hell sending him copy of the show when we finished it Mm -hmm. because i wanted ray to hear it before even blackstone heard it and before the cast heard it i I had to know that mr b was going to be okay with it and um so i was nervous as hell he listened to it over the july fourth weekend and i got an email from him a couple of days after he heard it or i had sent it to him and he said he loved it he said it was great. It was just the way he envisioned it, and in the attachment was a script of Something Wicked This Way Comes. He says, "Want to do this one next?"
0: <laughs> Unbelievable.
10: <laughs> so I said, "Sure." So uh, he already had the script done, and we went right into production with Something Wicked This Way Comes, and and uh, from there we ended up doing um, a third one, The Halloween Tree, mm-hmm. right. which he let me write the script for that one. So it's been. It was amazing.
0: Yeah, and and all and all those won some sort of Ogle or Mark Time Award as well, and and you have a few more under your belt too, huh?
10: Yeah, we won for Sleepy Hollow the first year, and uh, and then we won four consecutive years in a row. We we won um, the gold for Sleepy Hollow and Dandelion Wine, and then we won the silver for Something Wicked and uh, Halloween Tree, which is when we we. Uh, uh, just this year, where you won
0: the the other one. So, 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 so it's just just a matter of, of being persistent and and putting producing stuff and putting your heart into it. Is that is that kind of the the lesson that you've learned?
10: I don't know if it's a. I don't I don't even know if it's hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never understood that. I don't really enjoy doing it. <laughs> it's a lot of work.
0: Right. <laughs> and, True.
10: And um, it stopped being fun. When I started getting publisher deadlines,
5: mm-hmm.
10: and I, you start getting people calling you up saying, you know, you're over schedule. You're, you're, you're. We needed this last week. What's going mm-hmm. on? And, and when you suddenly go from doing it as a hobby to working with real publishers, it the conversations get very nasty
6: mm-hmm.
10: and very brutal. So I can't say I love it anymore, but I enjoy it. You know, it's hard. It's hard to put a thing a, a, a word to it. Really. I, we do it. I, I I like seeing the the shows get done. I like them when they're finished. I just wish I I, I didn't have to go through a lot of the rigmarole to get there.
0: Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> if that
10: makes sense. I mean, right? You after know, after all these years, it it becomes like, oh boy, here we go. We're starting another one, and 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 uh, it's tough. And you know, we get because I I usually have about anywhere from five to seven productions in production at the exact same time simultaneously. Mm. We don't just work on one at a time. Mm. So it, get, it gets confusing. But, yeah, I guess there is a love for it, but at this point it's it's probably like the the parent that has a, a grown kid that's <laughs> still hanging around and you're sure. driving you crazy, when you, you know? That's kind of how I see it.
0: Sure, sure. I, you know, I was I was going to ask that particular question that the the profession, the pressures rather of doing it professionally, and it sounds like it it definitely comes, um, at a cost that someone who's who's doing it for fun a, at their own time at their own pace with their own material doesn't have the same sort of uh, deadlines and yeah. expectations that you have to deal with.
10: Well, I got to admit, when I was first doing these, when I was editing something like Gettysburg or Little Bighorn, it was magical to put those headphones on, and I it to sit there and just be able to create all this stuff was just amazing. And with Little Bighorn, we made a lot of our own sound effects. I mean, I had real Indians come here and do the war chants and stuff. And um, and all the war hoops were, are not Foley's from a sound effects thing. We really did them here. Even the rifle shots we did ourselves. Nice. They're all period rifles. And um, <laughs> you see my ceiling? No. Mm-hmm. But we were... Uh, all that stuff was done so that was really something and and i remember when i sat down to edit the battle i I sat in the editing room for 25 hours and did the whole battle straight through and i wasn't even tired i wasn't falling asleep it was just so exciting Mm -hmm. you know i just couldn't stop because i said "Ah, if i put this away and come back to it tomorrow the whole rhythm's going to be gone because i was really feeling it and that was the you know, a big show for us, and then we put it out, and it kind of laid an egg. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't really perform the way we had hoped it would. Mm-hmm. But um, those are the things that you just do, and and the more you do, the uh, I think the better you you hone your skills. You know, mm-hmm. and same thing with writing. It's it's the same. I, I never thought I'd ever be a writer ever, but I need the scripts, so you got to mm-hmm. write them.
0: Yeah, and,
10: and the early ones are god-awful, you know, they're yeah. not that good. And the yeah. more you do it, the better you get at it.
0: Sure. And, and uh, what other tips might you have for, for people? Certainly there's a lot of people who are, you know, podcasters and, and people who are learning about audio drama through the net that are, are becoming a community. Um, yeah. do, do you have tips for them? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure people contact you from time to time asking for advice.
10: Well, yeah, there's a couple folks that I'm in touch with that, called me when they were first starting and they you know, they got the idea to do it and they wanted to, some advice and and they're, the, the thing I tell them I think that's most important is it's just persistence mm-hmm. everyone wants to do something like you, you might see a Broadway show I want to do that you've got no idea what the auditions are like What what a 10 hour rehearsal day is like you know mm-hmm. there's a lot that goes behind it and that's the sad part is that it's a learning process and people can get discouraged. The, the trick is just don't get discouraged. Just do it because eventually it's all going to click. You know? You mm-hmm. just got to learn how to... Like right now, I'm learning how to edit on a computer. Yeah. I've never edited on a computer. I mean, I've edited a ton of shows and I'm looking at that computer I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's like, It's like flying a space shuttle. And yet... Someone like yourself, who edits on a computer, could look at the station, the digital thing I used to work on, where you can't even see any sound grids, mm-hmm. and you'd be lost. Yeah. So
0: mm-hmm.
10: I think it's all what you know and what you learn, and hopefully someday I'll learn how to edit on this computer, and, and I'm sure if someone sat down and worked at the, the digital workstation, it would take them a good year, like it took me just to figure out the basics. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is, just don't give up. And, um, and I, I believe in rehearsing as, as little as possible. Yeah. Because and... one thing I, I noticed when we would tape a show was we, in, when we first started doing it, we used to rehearse them. And then uh, we'd take a break and then we'd tape them. And when we did Little Bighorn, I, was, I remembered halfway through the show, in my mind, I'm thinking, boy, the rehearsal was better. Huh. There, there was more energy People weren't trying to figure it out or being more cerebral with their lines. It's like, you know, you're up there riding on a horse and the whole Sioux Nation is chasing you. You're not going to be very dramatic. You're going to sprit those lines out (laughs) and get moving. And uh, after that, I never rehearsed another show. (laughs) Even the Bradbury pieces, we we just tape them. And you direct on the spot, of course. You know, if people make a mistake or whatever, we'll stop and we'll go back. And do them over i'm not saying it's the best method but it, it certainly works for us yeah I, I think the one thing that old shows had was a lot of spontaneity and a lot of movement to them and and uh i never let people sit down when we're taping everyone has to stand up and and sometimes you got to fight to get to a microphone but that brings a certain amount of energy into the performance I can always listen to a show and tell you when someone's sitting in a soundproof booth with the headphones on. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. you can just tell there's a a big difference. And And, um, that's how we do it.
0: Yeah. And tell me, uh, you know, it sounded when you were talking about Powder River that that was something that you chose to do more of based on audience response and the Mm -hmm. sort of early shows, or based on your interest in in history and maybe a bit of a market. And yeah. and what what are some of the other things that uh, help you make decisions about what to do next? What what kind of programming you produce? Um, how how does that? How, and how does that uh, change? And, and what's that like?
10: Well, sometimes it comes from other sources because we we just finished a production of uh, Zorro and the Pirate Raiders, mm-hmm. which is a Zorro show. And we got a call that, and asking if we'd want to do Zorro. Mm-hmm. And. Um, I'm not a Zorro fan, Mm
5: -hmm.
10: so I don't, I didn't, I knew who, I knew what Zorro was, of course. I remember seeing the old Disney shows, but I I wasn't, it's not like I didn't see the new movies they had made. I, I never, you know, read the books. It's Mm -hmm. just, if it's there, I'll see it, but I'm not a fanatic. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I knew as soon as they said that, it's like, yeah, I think that'll be pretty big. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. you just, you just know that, uh it's either going to work or it isn't but it, there's going to be an audience there mm-hmm. for it because zoro is still a huge uh franchise so we got we worked with zoro productions and did uh just finished it actually it took 2 years right. um, seven rewrites of the script and um it was it was these people know what they want and they're not going to stop till they get it right cuz they they know what they want zoro to be mm-hmm. So I'm not faulting that. I'm just saying it, it made it more more difficult for us to, to produce the show. But they're right, because all the fans that are going to listen to it, they've you know, they got to hear what they expect. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping we pulled it off. I don't know yet. But to show you how people are, I, I was getting mail from people over a year ago, basically threatening me, <laughs> saying, if, if you screw this up, you know and and you know i i can't believe you're actually have the audacity to try to do zorro on radio and so and so was the only true zorro and i'm like oh got a life you know it's a radio show dude you know <laughs> um but that that's something that we know has an audience appeal and then we're doing the Perry Mason series based on the original books mm-hmm. uh we got the rights to do those and i figure well the tv show's been around for 50 years and uh carl amari there is doing the twilight zone with great success and what's another iconic tv show it's perry mason mm-hmm. so we're hoping that we haven't really really we've released them sporadically for downloads but we haven't come out with the official cd release yet so i'm dying to see how those things uh, go over but powder river was a western that i thought was mediocre Uh, we did 15 episodes. I thought some were okay. I thought some were awful. I, I wasn't kicking up my heels saying, oh boy. And yet it's got the biggest fan following of anything we've ever done. Hmm. We're doing season five, uh, just because of all the emails we get. I'm not kidding. When I say emails, we're talking hundreds of emails. (laughs) And it's like, wow, I'm really happy that these people like it. But I'm. I'm thinking in my mind, do I have another Western story in my head? Yeah. Because we've done 60 episodes and uh, two features, two feature-length episodes of Powder River, two hours each. So it's basically just looking around. We don't do a lot of sci-fi. We've done some, but we don't do a lot because I think the audio market is very sci-fi heavy. Mm. Um, So I just assume leave that to people that really know how to do it. And and like doing it. Uh, We have one sci-fi show coming out. Uh, The Bradburys that we did, I don't think can really be classified as science fiction. Um, But uh, they're more fantasy, I think. Mm. But um, we got Buck Ellis and the actor Robot coming out uh, in a few months with Walter Koenig from Star Trek. And uh, that's really the closest we've come to true sci-fi. And... um, but I'm not gonna. I'm not going around looking for more uh, sci-fi shows because I know there are people that do them much with much more ease. I should say. Sure. I don't want to say better because we don't know what we got yet. But uh, there's certainly a lot of those out there. We haven't done a vampire show yet, and everyone seems to do a lot of vampires. <laughs> yeah. So I just try to look at what's out there and try to do something that's a little different. And. Um, and at the same time, they're all very familiar because our style is very 1940s sure. and, and 50s, and it's it, so sometimes it it sounds kind of familiar, but it, I think it's you know for anyway people that used to listen to radio shows, mm-hmm. I guess, but um, you know we get a little formula. It seems to be working.
0: Hmm. And uh you mentioned uh Zoro already. Uh, I think another one that you've got going is moonfleet uh, what what else uh, what do you, what are you what's coming out right now? What are the um, hot things that you're working on that people can um, hear right now if they go to your website?
10: Well, right now, Moonfleet's the newest. Um, we have We do have Zoro and the Pirate Raiders out, very limited in a, a site called lulu.com, and lulu.com is uh a site that we've been working with for the past year. And, um, for two weeks only, we actually have Zorro up, uh, before we sign with the publisher to, uh, we don't know who we want to release it yet with, but we'll know within two weeks. Mm-hmm. And so for the, in the meantime, I just want to test to the waters and, and see what people think of it. So it's, it's up on Lulu for a couple of weeks. Um, we just did Barrymore with William Luce that came out this summer. Um, he adapted his Broadway show just for us for radio, which is really cool. Yeah. And um, that's one of our, I think, our, our better shows. Um, what else do we have coming out? we got a new series out, coming out uh, sometime in September, mid-September, called Jerem Lee Ghost Hunter, which is about a, a ghost hunter at, in London at the turn of the century, in the early Edwardian years there. So it's, it's pretty cool. cool. Uh, Victorian London. Mm. And uh, right 1900, yeah, Victoria was still queen in 1900, right? 1903, I think. So uh, that's a cool little show. It's family-friendly, but it's spooky, but it's, it's not going to gross people out. But mm-hmm. it's, it's got some nice little spooky moments in there, but it's certainly something a whole family could listen to. Cool. And uh, we have some more bigger projects we're planning for next year. But um, right now, Moonfleet, we're reissuing Treasure Island on CD. That'll be out probably September I think Moonfleet comes out on CDs at the end of August. And, um, our treasure Island has been around for about three years, but it's only been, well, this new version, we've done it twice. I re-recorded it in 2006 because the first one was really just bothering me too much. Mm -hmm. And it's like, ah, we shouldn't have done that. Oh, we shouldn't have done that. So I said, you know what? I say that too often. Let's just scrap it, pull it off the market and redo it, which is what we did. And now I'm much more happy with it. And, uh, It's never been on CD, so we're going to release it um, on CD uh, probably in September, October, and we got our new season on on uh, satellite radio, which will be starting in uh, September 11th. We go on the air with all new stuff, plus some old repeats, you know, because we can only do so much.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Certainly got uh, quite a good catalog. People can find you at colonialradio.com. You also mentioned Lulu and I think the Spoken Word Network, and I think there's a link to all that on the homepage. Spoken page, Network, yeah. Spokennetwork.com. Great. Yeah. Um, excellent. Well, Jerry, thanks so much. Really appreciate your insight. Um, loved the chance to hear um, some of uh, your work with the Yankee Clipper, and, of course, there's tons more stuff out there. Um, I think on Sonic Society, you can hear some Powder River, and, uh, of course, you go to your website and download more. And um, I'll have links for people to check out Yankee Clipper from this podcast as well. And we're on um,
10: Audible as well and iTunes. So, you know, whatever people prefer And Amazon, it's on all
0: those. So the store of your choice, we should be there. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, Well, Jerry, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Take care. All right. And that was Jerry Robbins, Colonial Radio Theater. Thanks again, Jerry. Again, their website is colonialradio.com. All right. And uh, September, and, you know, September is just around the corner. In fact, next week just around the corner we're going to have a uh, wireless theater company back on the show as well as uk-based promising productions i also want to give a special announcement here the first time you're ever going to hear that there is a live radio halloween show uh, it's gonna be a benefit for uh, wmpg and it's gonna be a big special episode of radio drama revival airing on um halloween night 7 to 9 p.m eastern time um, you can tune in to wmpg.org to hear it streaming live um it's going to be a live show also in front of an audience. So if you're in the Portland, Maine area or ready for a road trip, uh, do check it out. It's going to be at the University of Southern Maine. Uh, it's going to be a fundraiser for the station, um, kind of being put on by my production effort, Final Rune Productions. Of course, um, Final Rune won the Ogle for Waiting for a Window. And now we're trying a live show. Why not? Um, tons of tons of content and information about this is going to be continuing to get stuffed on RadiodramaRevival.com as you go along. There also is a Facebook event page where you can, uh, of course, at, say you're going to attend this event, um, drop comments on it stuff like that it's gonna be lots of fun um a lot of really cool artists writers are gonna be featured on it all original work and uh good good stuff so that is gonna be on halloween meantime you can hear more by checking out the blog radio find a link to subscribe to the podcast episodes of uh previous episodes there reviews the in-depth Malia series by Chris Duker my weekly column Fred's Fuse and while you're there why not join the conversation leave a comment or two you can also find us on iTunes search for radio drama revival and that wraps it up for this week radio drama revival is produced by me Fred Greenhalgh your copyright of individual shows remains to their producers but do please share this show as much as you'd like radio drama revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG FM greater Portland Maine's community radio station It is podcast at RadiodramaRevival.com. as a labor of love till next time keep your mind and your ears open Thanks for tuning in and have a great week.